now it's my pleasure uh, to invite up Abby, who's going to preach. I'll let you introduce yourself, but can I pray for you? Also because we want your voice to last for your whole preach. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for Abby. I pray that you'd really just be uh, in her voice. Physically, we pray, Lord, that you would protect her. And, uh, yeah, especially her kind of throat, Lord Jesus. Heal her now, even. But also, we pray that you'd speak through her to us this morning. Thank you for what you and she have prepared that we might receive this morning of your good news. Amen. Amen. Yes, please uh, uh, forgive my, my croakiness this morning. Um, I knew I was ill yesterday, and a wiser woman than I would have taken it easy and rested up. Um, but what I actually did was scream cheesy hits on the dance floor in here for Jamie and Fran's wedding until about 11 o'clock last night. Um, but it'll, it takes a wiser woman than me to say no to the Grease Mega Mix. So... <laughs> So today we're going to be looking at the story of the Transfiguration, um, which is a story that I think most of us will, will, will know pretty well. In fact, you may see it depicted here in our church window. Um, I'll be honest, when I first started here, I had no idea what this story is, because there is one feature of this picture which is a bit confusing. Um, in, this, in Exodus 34, um, when we hear the story of Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. In most of our modern-day translations, it says that he did not know that his face had become radiant, or he did not know that his face shone. Now, in the fourth century, there was a little bit of confusion when they were translating the Bible, that the word keren, the Hebrew word keren, uh, it means radiant, but it also means horned. Which is why, 1,600 years later, here in our church window, Moses has horns. <laughs> but so today we're going to be looking at the transfiguration, which can be found in Luke 9, verse 28 to 36. And it's going to come up on the screens for us as well. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes began, became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring about to the fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully aware, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus Peter, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, who I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. So we're going to dive into the story a little bit today, and some of the stories and lessons that we can get out of it. And if you've been studying the Bible for a while, then you'll know that we can't just take a passage out of context and expect to be able to get everything out of it. And I think that's especially true today, because the first line of this passage is, when Jesus had finished saying this, they went up to the mountain. 
So the first question we need to ask is, what is this? What is this, a, what is this story a continuation of? What did Jesus say before? And so if we flash back in the story a little bit, we see in, in, Luke 18, in Luke 9, verse 18 to 20, Jesus says to the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some, of, some people think you're Elijah, some think you're John the Baptist, and other people think that you're another prophet from a long time ago. And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you are God's Messiah. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the one that's going to save us. You are God's son, and you are the Messiah who's been prophesied about for 500 years. You are the Messiah. And then after that, Jesus goes on to predict his death and the coming of the kingdom of God. And then we have the transfiguration. We have today's passage. Jesus takes disciples up a mountain to pray, and they are met with this miraculous vision. And what I want to talk about today is a faithful order in which we see declaration coming before confirmation. Of declaration before confirmation. Because in most spheres of life, we prefer those things the other way around. We confirm our wedding venue before we send out our invites. And we confirm that we have enough money on our card before we declare that we will pay for dinner. And as some of us found out of focus last week, we confirm that we definitely have enough space in our car before we declare people can have lifts home. It's definitely more comfortable that way around. We like to confirm things first because nobody wants the embarrassment of saying something only to have it not come true. Nobody wants to declare they're going to pay for dinner only to have their card declined. And nobody wants to offer somebody a lift home only to point them towards the train station. I don't think anyone did get left at focus last week, but there were definitely a few people that were less comfortable in the car on the way home than they anticipated they would be. Confirmation is comforting. When we have confirmation, we feel like we have control. And so it's natural in life we aim to seek that first. But in this chapter, we see the order is flipped. In Luke, eight, in Luke 9, verse 18 to 20, Peter declares who Jesus is. He is not Elijah. He is not another forefather of faith. He is the Messiah, and he is God's son. And then in verses 28 to 36, this is confirmed to him. He sees a miraculous vision of Jesus alongside Elijah and Moses. He hears him discussing with Jesus how he will bring fulfillment to Jerusalem. And then he hears God's voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Everything that he declares is confirmed to him. Peter makes a declaration in faith, believing in Jesus, all who he was and all that he would do. He makes this declaration before he receives confirmation, because that is what faith is. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is a realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is having the confidence to declare something and trusting that one day God will give you the, comfort, the confirmation that you need. There's an amazing preacher that I really like called Lisa Harper. I heard her at a conference many years ago, and now I've read some of her books, and she does a great uh, podcast called Back Porch Theology. In her book, Believing Jesus, which is her deep dive into the book of Acts, she talks about her journey to motherhood. And she says, when I was 17 years old, Cindy Welchel, my best friend in high school, and I led our youth group Bible study through the theme of adoption in scripture. We made a pact to adopt babies that nobody else wanted when we grew up. 
We were as sincere as we knew how to be as teenagers, making that solemn promise. We were walking in the light of all the revelation we had as perky, mostly devout teenage followers of Jesus. We had no idea that Cindy would marry Peter after college and they would struggle with infertility and go on to adopt two beautiful children. Nor did we imagine that I would still be single at 50. When both Peter and Lisa made their declarations, neither of them knew what the future would hold for them. But Jesus fulfilled them and confirmed them, but their journeys in between looked very different. Peter makes his declaration and his passage tells him that about eight days later it is confirmed to him in a miraculous vision. But Lisa had to wait 30 years. She had to wait a lifetime. She was 51 years old and had lived a life of wondering and waiting and thinking what if when she finally got to bring home her daughter, Missy. And that's what faith is. It's having the confidence to declare something in God's name, believing that one day he will confirm it to us. And sometimes we wait a week and sometimes it feels though we're waiting a lifetime. Faith is declaration before confirmation and everything that comes in between. Sometimes I hear about people that say they've declared something or they've, they've reached out for prayer and they've prayed something and God hasn't answered them. And they're, they're living in that sense of unanswered prayer. And I always think that's not quite the right wording because I think that God answers all of our prayers. He just answers in three ways. He either says yes, no, or not now. How many times do we say, well, God didn't answer my prayer and what we actually mean is God hasn't said yes. When I was a teenager, I prayed that I would marry Zac Efron, Aaron Johnson, and, and Austin Ames from a Cinderella story. <laughs> they, are not they are not unanswered prayers. <laughs> God just said no to those prayers because a decade later, he had a better plan. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, when I first wrote that, I wrote, I wrote different plan, and my husband... And my husband said, maybe better would be a, diff would be a more appropriate word there. <laughs> God had a better plan for my life. But 14-year-old but me didn't know that yet. 14-year-old me hadn't comprehended all that was to come. Now, we have incredible kids at this church. Kids who are funny and silly and adorable, but we also have kids who are mature and really emotionally wise. And when I first started here, I was leading a session on, on Jesus Heals. And now in the past, if I'd have gone back four years, my temptation for that would have been, let's watch a sweet cartoon about Jesus healing a blind man or a, or a lame man. And then let's do an associated craft. And then let's do a coloring in sheet that says Jesus Heals. Um... But actually, a few years ago, this church suffered a really tragic loss. And then we had two years of a pandemic. And so it didn't feel right to say to the children, Jesus heals, let's do a coloring in sheet. It felt like actually we did need to really dive into the story of what does life look like when it feels as though we haven't had an answered prayer? What does it feel like? And what do we think when we've declared something and we haven't seen an answer to that? And as I said, our children here are really wise and they are really emotionally mature. And as I was saying to the children, how do we feel when we pray for something and we don't see it happen? One child put a hand up and said, sometimes when people are really ill, it's better that they go and be with Jesus. Perhaps when we don't see an answer to prayer, we are praying the wrong prayers. 
praying not your will, but mine. Perhaps God has a different plan that turns out to be a better plan than we ever could have imagined. We like to confirm things before we declare them because we are scared of getting them wrong. We're scared of looking stupid, of looking foolish. But Peter wasn't nervous declaring who Jesus was, declaring that he was the Messiah. He spoke with confidence, not knowing how, but knowing it would be revealed to him, having enough faith in Jesus to know that whatever happens next, however it looks, Jesus will save them. He was confident that Jesus would save them, however it looks. Perhaps when we don't see an answer to prayer, we are praying the wrong prayers. And instead of declaring what we want God to do, we should just declare who God is. We need to change our mindset and declare that whatever happens, he is the Messiah and he will save us. When we declare who God is in our lives, we need to remain faithful that he will reveal himself and his purposes in ways that we never could have expected. But in the meantime, how do we stay faithful in the waiting period? Because sometimes we're like Peter and we don't have to wait that long at all. Sometimes we're like Lisa and it feels like we're waiting our whole lifetime. And sometimes we're like Moses and to many it looks like we never saw that at all. We never saw the fulfillment of those prayers at all. I think it's really important that of all the people that could have appeared next to Jesus, Moses gets to be one of them. We read about this, the life of Moses in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, how he was, he was born an Israelite who were a persecuted and enslaved people. And so as a child, he was placed in a basket and floated down a river to try and save his life. And he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter who took pity on him, took him in and raised him as her, as her own. As he grew up and he dis discovered who he really was, uh, God used him as a powerful leader to free his people, to free his people from slavery, take them out of Egypt and into what would become a 40-year journey towards the promised land. And it really does read like herding cats. It sounds as though he tries everything to keep them on track, and yet the Israelites just kept, keep falling away from God. They're ungrateful, they're unruly, Every time he goes away for a few days, he comes back and they've got a new God. It feels that he tries everything in his power to, to keep them on this track, to keep them faithful to God. And then one day after many, many years, Moses himself starts to lose faith. God asks him to do something and he says no. And then he does it eventually anyway, but at that point God says, because you did not have enough faith in me, you will not enter the promised land. He says in Numbers 20:12, you did not trust in me enough to honor me, so you will not bring this community into the land that I gave them. And I always read that, and I used to feel really sorry for him and think, oh, come on, God. He tried so hard for so long. He tried to keep your people on track. He tried to be faithful, but he falters at the end, and God says, you will not reach the promised land. And if I was in Moses' shoes at that point, I probably would have given up altogether and been like, fine, I tried. I've, I've tried my best to serve you, to serve your people, and it wasn't easy. But now I've, I've, I've struggled with my faith at the end, and now you say I'm not going to get there at all. I probably would have given up. But Moses doesn't. He faithfully appoints, uh, appoints a new leader. He appoints Aaron to take over from him, and then he continues to faithfully serve God until his death. And for many people, the end of his life must have looked like a disappointment. 
Like he's on this journey for so long and yet he never makes it. He never makes it to the promised land. But what we learned at the transfiguration is that he did. Is that he didn't make it to the physical promised land of Canaan that the Israelites were on their way to. But he did make it to the spiritual kingdom of God. He made it to the spiritual uh, God's kingdom where he is face to face with Jesus. He did not make it there in his earthly ministry. And he did not make it there as we would have imagined. But what actually happens is even better. We may look at, God's, um, look at Moses' life and feel as though it ends in disappointment. We may look and think he was faithful to all those around him. And it looks like he never saw the fulfillment of God's promises. But here in this vision on the mountain, we see that God's plans for him were bigger than we could have comprehended. We don't need to feel sorry for him because there is no room for disappointment when God's plans are revealed to us. He didn't make it to the promised land of the Israelites, but he entered the spiritual promised land of God's kingdom. Sometimes we won't see the fulfillment until the time comes that we go to be with Jesus. But as we see from the life of, of Moses, that does not mean that we give up because there is still always more to come. I'd like to invite the band up now. So this morning, just to close, I want to think about whether we're all waiting for our own transfiguration moment. The moment that God appears to you and says, this is who I am, and this is how I'm working. Perhaps you have declared it before, and you're waiting for Jesus to reveal himself in ways that you never could have imagined. Maybe you've been waiting a week, and maybe it feels as though you've been waiting a lifetime. Perhaps you're too nervous to make a declaration at all. You're not quite there yet, and you're nervous of looking foolish, of looking silly. You don't quite have enough faith yet to know that God is going to come through with an answer, and that God will reveal himself to you. Or perhaps you feel as though the answer will never come in this lifetime, and you need more faith in knowing that the kingdom of God awaits you, and it's better than anything you could have imagined here on earth. But my encouragement to all of us today is that the transfiguration came as a response to a declaration of faith. If we're not brave enough to step out in faith and patient enough to wait for the answer, we may never get the revelation that Jesus has planned for us. And if we have our sights so firmly set on the wrong promised land, then it may feel like disappointment when God reveals his actual purposes and his actual ways to us. So we're going to worship together now, and the prayer team are going to be here at the front. Um, and please come up for prayer. If there's anything that's kind of been stirred in you this morning, maybe it's about what I've said, and maybe it's about something completely different. But if God has put anything in your heart this morning and you would like prayer, please come forward. Please don't leave this morning regretting that you didn't, because we would love to stand with you in whatever it is you want to pray for. And so, Lord, this morning... Help us to be more like Peter, to boldly declare who you are and trust that you will reveal your ways and your purposes to us. Give us a confidence and assurance to know that you are our saviour. Lord, help us when we feel like Lisa, feeling as though we're waiting a lifetime for you to respond. Give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow that you are working and your plans are higher than anything we could have imagined. And Lord, help us to remember the journey of Moses. 
one that to many might look like disappointment or failure, but actually ends in unimaginable glory at your side. Amen.